Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Good morning. Praise the Lord. How are y'all doing today? Okay, well, that was weak. How are y'all doing this morning? (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Amen. Listen, if you can scream for the Mountaineers, you ought to be able to do more than whisper for Jesus. Come on, you ought to be able to do more than just whisper for Jesus. You can take your shirt off and swing it around your head like a helicopter at a football game. You ought to be able to get excited about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who was and is and is to come, the one whose name is greater than every other name. Just check your pulse this morning. (laughs) Amen. Well, if I haven't met you, <laughs> Pastor Josh, this morning, it's good to, uh, to be with you today. And we are going to, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the, the series that we've been in, in the Word. How many of you love the Word of God this morning? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. Hey, oh, I have to say one thing before I jump into my series. You may have seen these things sitting out on the table. These are little three-month devotionals that we make available to you guys uh, from the Word for you today. Uh, it's, a, it's a great ministry out of Atlanta, Georgia that's actually run by uh, Pastor Ron Yutzi, who is one of the overseers of this church. Matter of fact, he and his wife are going to be with us in a few weeks, and uh, it's going to be an awesome time the first Sunday uh, in October. And so we're going to have a blast with them. It also happens to be the church's anniversary. And uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun. But if you haven't grabbed one of these, they're free. They come out every three months. We just make them available to you. They're a morning uh, or, you know, they're a daily devotional. I like to do mine in the morning. Uh, But if you haven't grabbed one, take one because they're free and uh, they'll be a blessing to you. Amen. Um, I want to continue in our series this morning. Uh, This may be the last, the last, uh, part of this series. I always try to leave that up to the Lord. Sometimes I get to the end of what I planned, and then if the Holy Spirit's still talking, if he's still got his finger on a particular subject, then I just want to listen to him and uh, and talk about what he wants me to talk about, right? How many of you figured out, if you know me well enough, you know me well enough to know that uh, I don't have anything good to say. It's all what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's not about coming to hear me talk this morning. So, So I think this will be the last part of our series on rest, but you never know. We'll see. We'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to say. But we've been talking through Hebrews chapter 4 on the subject of rest. And I pray that this has been a blessing to you. I pray that this has encouraged you and also challenged you to grow deeper in your walk with the Lord. Uh, it, It does no good to us if we just talk about spiritual concepts but they don't ever become something more in our lives. Does that make sense? It does no good for us to just talk about the word. Keith said it just a few moments ago. We want to be doers of God's word. We want to make sure that the word of God is actually causing and bringing about transformation and change in our lives. Amen? So that's my desire, and I hope that this series has been causing that to happen in your life. The text that we've been reading from is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. You can see it up on the screen. I'm going to read this, and then we'll make our confession of faith, and then we'll go from there. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And I like it in the Passion Translation. I feel like in this particular case, the Passion Translation just nails this verse. It reads, Now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. I love that second part. We must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise. You'll never walk in rest until you fully embrace the reality that it's available for you. It's just like any of the other promises that God made. If we're on the fence about whether or not we even believe that he wants us to have rest, we're probably never going to actually step into that rest. Does that make sense? Let's embrace the fullness of the promise so that we don't fail to experience it. God wants you to experience his rest this morning. Amen. Let's make our confession of faith that we like to make, and then I'll jump in and, and pray, and we'll, we'll keep going here this morning. If you're watching with us online, good, good morning. God bless you. You'll see this graphic up on your screen. If you're here in the house, let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Thank you, Father, that today... The eyes of my heart see you. The ears of my heart hear you. My heart. Your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for another opportunity to come before your word. We thank you that the Bible says that the entrance of your word brings light. We thank you that today your word brings clarity into the confusion of our lives, that it brings... Uh, Father, stability and strength to us, that where we feel that we ha have fallen behind or fallen short of your best, that your word encourages us, builds us up, strengthens us, and causes us to walk in the way that you would like for us to walk, causes us to live in the way you've called us to live. So let your word come today and do its work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask you to breathe upon your word today. Make it come alive in our hearts today. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, and amen. So uh, a very quick moment of review. I want to talk to you today for about 40 minutes. I've got a lot of things to share on my heart, but I think I'm going to be able to get them all out today. Um, so y'all help me, okay? Uh, can you be on the edge of your seat today spiritually? Let's just, you know, do you ever come to the table hungry and you're just ready to eat? And it's like the, the waiter can hardly put the food down fast enough before you're ready to just go. Let's just have that posture in our hearts this morning because God's word is a whole lot better than a meat and three from your favorite restaurant. So let's, let's dive in this morning, okay? Real quickly, let's do some review. In part two last week, we talked about rest being a priority. You remember that I said to you that, 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 that we were going to look at rest from three different uh, perspectives, that rest was a promise, that rest was a priority, and then this week we're going to talk about rest being a posture. So last week we talked about a priority. We said that God's word helps us to discern when it is that we need to rest and when it is that we need to work. We said that people are exhausted because they are not prioritizing rest. And I don't know about you, but when I say that, I, I, I put myself in the bullseye of that target 
Because I know that in my own life, in my family's life, we're, we figure, we're figuring out what does our rhythm of life need to look like. How many of you have kids in here? Just show, show me your hands if you got kids. All right, a lot of people have kids. When, you, when your kids are young, when they're of a certain age, this is a learning experience to try to figure out what does the rhythm of rest look like. And so if you're, in that, if you're in that age range where you got young kids, don't get beat up by this message. Get encouraged by it. Get strengthened by it uh, to know that God will help you to determine how to make rest a priority if you yield to him. Amen? So we said that sometimes we're prioritizing things that we think are restful, but they're actually draining us. Stuff like sitting on your phone till midnight. It's really not rest. Amen? It's really not rest. Oh, let me try this. All right. That's all right. We tried, guys. Let's give it up for our team in the back that is working so hard to make stuff happen. Thank you all. I appreciate you. Um, we said there's sometimes we're doing stuff that we think is restful, but it's just actually not. Like watching TV till you can't keep your eyes open is not actually resting, right? We said that rest is the result of intentionality. Nobody is going to accidentally fall into rest, it has to be something that we prioritize. Whatever is unmanaged becomes unstable, right? Just leave a piece of metal out in your yard over the winter and see if it comes out shinier in spring. No, whatever's left to itself degrades. It doesn't get better. So if your rest is going to happen, it's going to be because you made a priority. You made a decision to prioritize it. God told us to prioritize rest when he instituted, instituted the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath is to disconnect from this world and connect to God. And in that way, the Sabbath serves us. Our Sabbath should look like us drawing near to God. And that's where the real rest actually comes from. You remember the illustration I showed you of my little daughter, Abigail, coming up here. And, and I was pretending to be Jesus and she was pretending to be you and I uh, when we get weighed down by life. And Jesus invites us to come and walk with him. Take, take his yoke upon us. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that's where rest really happens. Amen? Now today we're going to talk about rest being a posture. Being a posture. And in order to do this effectively, I want to start by asking you a question. And I want you to just think critically with me for a moment. Think back into your life uh, and think about this question. Have you ever seen someone do something very complicated, yet when you see them do it, they do it and they make it look so easy. You say, what does this have to do with rest? So much. Just stick with me. Have you ever watched somebody? Have you ever watched like a really skilled ballerina? My, I, my family, I'm the only one in my family that's not a ballerina. So I'm just going to tell you. They still somehow, <laughs> thank you, Joe. God bless you. They still somehow got me to be in the Nutcracker every year for the last decade, but I'm the only one, well, me and the dog, uh, he's, he, can't, he can't dance. He just knows how to chew, chew on things um, and drive me nuts in the middle of the night. But anyways, uh, everybody in my family, they're all ballerinas from the biggest to the littlest. If you've ever had a chance to go to a real ballet and watch real ballerinas do their thing, it's incredible. I remember one time we went to, when I was uh, in high school, we drove up to Orlando. 
uh, as I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, and we, we drove up to Orlando one night to go to downtown Disney to watch Cirque du Soleil. And I remember watching these people flying 30 feet through the air and just making it look like it was the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's funny because when you go to a concert or you go to a show like that or you see something like that, you leave and the thoughts going through your head are like, I could do that. <laughs> you know you're watching somebody that's good at something when their ease makes you think you can do it too, right? I could play the piano like that. No, I can't. We watch them do something that requires such skill, and yet they do it with tremendous ease. One of my favorite vocalists of all time is the great Andrea Bocelli. And uh, Frankie and I have talked at length about that man. He's amazing. He's, a, he's an Italian treasure. And, he's, and he's, you know, he's blind, and he just comes up. Somebody leads him out on the stage, and he kind of doesn't move very fast. You know? And he, he gets out onto the stage, and they just hand him a microphone. The orchestra starts to go, and he just takes off. But when you watch him, he, he doesn't look like he's even trying. He hits these notes that are way at the top of my chest voice. There's different, I don't have time to talk about that. But he hits these notes that are way high. If I was to try to hit him, I could maybe barely get up to him. But then he hits them and he holds them out for 12, 15, 20 seconds. And I'm trying to do that and I get halfway and I'm ready to pass out. And he just looks like he's, you know, not even trying. I grew up watching golf. This is one of my favorite sports, and my favorite golfer to watch is the great Fred Couples. I don't know any golfers out here that like to watch golf. Good old Freddie Couples, man. He looks like he's about to fall asleep on his backswing. He's just not even trying, but the ball goes a gazillion yards. These people, when they do this, they pique our attention. They inspire our imagination because they take the complicated and they make it look effortless and easy. This is a picture of rest in action. This is a picture of rest in action. Stay with me because I'm going somewhere. It sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. This is what it looks like when rest becomes our posture and our lifestyle. Now, of course, I'm speaking in terms of things that are just physical, a golf swing, somebody singing, a ballerina. What about on the spiritual level? What about in, the, in, what, what about in our minds, in our soul? What happens when rest becomes the posture of my spirit? When rest becomes the posture of my thoughts? When rest becomes the posture of my emotions? Now what happens? You see, rest has implications in all of the three main arenas of our life. You know that you are a spirit, a soul, and a body, right? You all know that. You've been around here long enough probably to tell. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Your spirit is your heart. It's the part of it. It's the real essence of who you are. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, your thinker, your feeler, and your doer. And then your body is your body. Some of us wish our body was a little different, but, you know, hey, here we are. Maybe a little less cheesecake, whatever. I didn't say that. But rest has implications in all three of those major areas of life. 
You need to learn how to let your rest impact your spirit. Let the rest impact your soul and let rest impact your body. We got the body part down because if we don't sleep for a while, pretty soon we get sleepy and we got to sleep. But so many people don't rest in their soul. So many people don't rest on the spiritual level. They don't go to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm just here to be nourished by you. I just, I, I'm, I'm here to feed my spirit this morning and to have you speak to me and encourage and build me up on the inside. Here's what I've noticed in my own life. Lack of rest in one area often shows up as lack of strength in another area. Lack of rest in my spirit often shows up as lack of, lack of strength in my mind. Lack of rest in my mind oftentimes shows up as weakness in my body. Sometimes when I drive myself physically so hard, it shows up as discouragement in my mind. You see, God made us so interconnected. He, he created us with such proficiency and such excellence that, that, that literally all three parts of us are so linked together that when one thing happens in my mind, it could affect my spirit, it could affect my body. So rest has to become a priority, and once it becomes a priority, it's got to become a a posture. It's got to become our mode of living. What if your life took on this kind of ease? What if you could live every moment of every day in the posture of rest? You can. Now, I'm not making the suggestion here that there's never going to be tough days, that every day is going to be just better roses and, you know, just butterflies and spring water, man. From the moment you wake up, it's just great. No, we all have challenging days, but what if... What if rest became such a profound part of who we are that even our tough days started to look different? I seem to remember Jesus being in a boat in the book of Mark amidst a crazy epic storm sleeping. Seems like his rest is what dictated his, his position in life. Jesus, Jesus didn't seem to have to struggle to make things happen. He was resting in the Father. And that was his posture of life. <clears throat> what if rest made life look a little different because it became our posture? Now, by posture, I've said it already once or twice, but by posture, I mean our mode of living, okay? Not just standing up straight. I want my good posture not just to be that I stand up straight, but that I'm actually at rest, spirit, soul, and body. I looked at the dictionary definition for rest. Y'all want to hear it? No? Okay, I'll skip that part of my notes. <laughs> Listen to the dictionary's definition. It says that posture is a particular way of dealing with or considering something. It's an approach or an attitude. What if the particular way of you dealing or considering things was through the lens of rest? What if when a problem arose in your marriage, the answer to it was not retaliation, but it was rest? What if on the job when there was some kind of, you know, issue, the, the automatic knee-jerk reaction was not chaos, but it was rest? What would happen if you let God's rest become the lens that you view life through. 
You see, when, when spiritual rest becomes our mode of living, things begin almost automatically, it seems, to fall into place. Have you ever noticed that? When you, when you, when you get to the place where you're really willing to rest, things start to just, they just drop right into place. In fact, I'm going to make this statement and then I'm going to spend a few minutes just clarifying it. But th this idea of rest is part of what makes it possible for us to obey God in lives. Can I tell you this? That you can't truly obey the Lord in your life without rest. Man, we just get this so backwards because we just think that obedience to God is do, 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 do. And that's part of it. But part of it is also rest, 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 rest. Now, I, I love this, okay? I love tackling these kinds of subjects and these kinds of issues because the Bible often intentionally creates paradoxes and creates tensions that we then have to figure out what they mean. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? The scripture so often creates a, 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 an intentional, con what seems like an intentional contradiction. Have you ever read two scriptures in the Bible and you're just like, those seem to actually contradict themselves? Can I tell you, can I give you a hint? When, you, when you're in those situations where you see something that looks like it's con you know, contradictory, can I tell you that the contradiction's in you, not in the word? And this is, you've just been presented with an opportunity to grow closer to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you trying to show me? Because I, I'm having, I, I'm not computing this right now. Can you help me? This for me, this contradiction, this tension is huge when it comes to the issue of rest. What do I mean by that? Well, in Luke chapter 10, Martha is hustling around the kitchen just trying to get the, the plates on the table because Jesus has come to her house. And Mary is sitting next to Jesus on the floor, sitting at his feet, just listening. And you know the story. Martha gets all ticked off. And again, what does Jesus do? He tells her, Martha, knock it off. Sit down. Mary's chosen the right thing. You're doing the wrong thing. Jesus tells her, settle down and rest. In Matthew, we read it last week, Jesus invites us to come and, and, and come draw near to him. And he's going to put his yoke and his burden on us, which is easy and it's light. And he's going to give us rest for our souls. And then you flip over to Proverbs. And Proverbs says, the hand of the diligent makes rich. And, and, and Proverbs says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall poverty come upon you and your need like an armed guard. Jesus, what about Jesus? Did he, did he ever correct anybody for laziness? Yeah, you all remember the parable of the talents? The dude with the one talent, what did he call him? He said, you wicked, lazy servant. The same Jesus that said, come unto me, all ye that labor. That's a take six song, by the way. If you never heard take six, they're amazing. The same Jesus that said, come unto me, all ye that labor, is the same Jesus that said, you lazy, wicked servant. He didn't call him lazy because he was wicked. He called him wicked because he was lazy. 
So which is it? Rest or diligence? Action or stillness? This is an apparent contradiction. But the answer is simple. Both rest and action. Or as I said it to you a few minutes ago, rest in action. We've got to understand, guys, that rest is not laziness. Busyness is not diligence. Let me say it one more time. Rest is not laziness. And busyness is not diligence. Just because we're active doesn't mean we're diligent. Amen. Just watch your kids try to sweep the floor. Just give a five-year-old a broom and just say, can you sweep this floor for me? They will take off. Well, you might have to fight with them to get them to do chores, but once they start, okay, they may take off and do all kinds of stuff. I can guarantee you they're not getting the floor clean. Or at very best, they're struggling. Just because we're active doesn't mean we're diligent. And just because we're inactive doesn't mean we're resting. You can prove that. How many times have you heard the story of somebody who wakes up in the middle of the night from a sound sleep having a panic attack? You're sleeping, but you ain't resting. You can be inactive and be a nervous wreck. No, see, not, not all rest is laziness. And not all activity is diligent. We, we've replaced diligence with busyness. I, I, I'll come back to that here in just a moment, but I heard the Lord say it to me this way, because whenever I get into one of these moments where I see an apparent contradiction, I love to press in and say, God, what do you mean here? Help me to understand this. And this is how the Holy Spirit shared it with me. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. The Lord say it to me this way in my heart. Rest plus diligence equals obedience. Rest plus diligence equals obedience. You want to really be pleasing to God? You really want to obey the Lord? Real obedience is when the posture of my life is at rest. And now my diligence is fueled by something greater than me. My diligence is no longer fueled by my pure human effort. You see, there's a difference between doing things in your strength and doing things in God's strength. See, this is where it all comes together. Everything we've been talking about for the last two weeks about rest, this is where it all comes together for us. You can be at rest and be diligent. Rest in action. When your, when your action and your diligence are not fueled by your human effort, but they're fueled by something far greater. Something that, that is supernatural that God has placed in you. Some of you may know where I'm going with this. I spoke a few moments ago about those who make complicated things look easy. Freddie Couples, beautiful golf swing. Smooth as silk. What is it that we say when we see someone who does something complicated and makes it easy? We have a word that we use when we see somebody like that. What is it? 
Look at her dance. She's so graceful. Graceful. Listen to him sing. He's so graceful. Graceful. Full of grace. How do you prevent rest from becoming laziness? And how do you prevent diligence from becoming busyness? Living with a posture of rest comes from understanding God's grace. What is it that makes the ballerina look so effortless? She's graceful. She's full of grace. What is it that makes you an overcomer when everything around you feels like you can't overcome and, and you, you stop trying to do it in your own strength and you start living from another source and that source is the supernatural grace of God that's been deposited into you? I have to imagine that Jesus looked very graceful when he walked on the water. I have to imagine that. Why? Because I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't walk on water. It's actually, you can't do that. It's impossible. I've tried. You can't do that. When, 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 he, when, when Jesus was demonstrating for us how he is living on this supernatural level that's above everything else around him, what is he demonstrating? He's demonstrating his total reliance on the grace of God. Yet we, we replace grace for busyness, man. We, we, we just think busyness is the way we need to be. Busyness has become the posture of our lives. I mean, doggone, every, every time you talk to somebody, every time you say hi to somebody you haven't seen in a while, what does that conversation sound like? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. Just busy. Just busy, you know, just burning the candle at both ends, man, you know. Just crushing it, trying to hustle. How's your family, man? All good, you know? We're just, whew, just busy, man. We wear it like a badge of honor. We think that's supposed to be our answer. Like, that's how we communicate to people that we're doing good, is to tell them we're busy and we're strapped. Nobody, no, the conversation never goes any other way. It's not like, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. How's your family? Oh, efficient. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. How you doing this week? Oh, just we're very balanced in our priorities. Kids are great. No, it's always like, we're busy. And, and can I tell you what's really, the, busy is the badge, busy is the shield that we use to, 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 to reflect and deflect away from what's really going on. If we took the shield of busy down, then what the answer would really be is, man, I'm on the ragged edge of, of absolute burnout. I can't figure out whether I'm coming or going. My kids haven't slept solid night in 17 years, and I don't know what I just, man, I'm just living on McDonald's french fries and just trying to figure out what direction I'm walking in. All right, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. I haven't eaten McDonald's in a while. <laughs> no, that's, that's where people live, but we, we, we hide behind busy. 
We hide behind busyness. God's not after busyness. He's after diligence. How do you get to be diligent? You learn how to rest. Because when you learn how to rest, grace comes into the picture and takes your effort out of it and you begin to do things in God's effort. The Bible says it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. The Bible says in John chapter 1, perhaps my favorite, one of my top three favorites, Passages in all of Scripture, John chapter 1, verse 16. I'll quote it to you. You can put it on the screen if you like. It says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law, verse 17 says, For the law of Moses was, uh, uh, was given, or excuse me, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came to us through Jesus. Jesus is full of grace. Because he wants you to be full of grace as well so that you can live your life gracefully. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. I'm going to show you this. This is amazing. Acts chapter 4. You can turn in your Bibles if you want. You can look on the screen. You can use your phone. I still like to read a Bible from the pages. There's something about it that I just enjoy. Acts chapter 3, look at this. Or excuse me, Acts 4, verse 33. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. Acts 4, 33 says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What was it that caused the disciples to be able to actually do great exploits? What was it that caused the power of God in the early church to be so robust and so strong? It was that great grace was upon all of them. Peter and John, when they go past the gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 4, and they raise up that gentleman who was there 40 years that, that couldn't walk. What, what, what was it that, that caused him to, to go walking and leaping and praising God, as the Scripture says? It was the grace of the Lord Jesus that Peter and John were carrying in their life. They didn't try to get that guy healed. They just did what Jesus told them to do. Wait in Jerusalem till you receive the Holy Spirit, and then, then you can go out and preach the gospel, and signs and wonders will follow you. Peter wasn't like, okay, John, we got to really, let's, okay, let's, let's get hyped up for this, bro. We're coming up to the gate, man. That beggar's over there, that dude that hasn't walked. Let's see if we can get him this time. They were walking on their way to prayer, just probably fellowshipping it as Christian brothers do when they walk together. I don't know why that made me laugh. Just, they're, just, they're just walking together, going to the temple, and all of a sudden their walk is interrupted by this guy begging for alms, begging for money. And Peter turns and what does he say? Well, uh, you know what? Silver and gold have I none. I don't have my wallet with me, but I got something better than money anyways. In Jesus' name, get up and walk. How hard was it? They didn't perform surgery on his legs. They didn't, try to, they didn't try to, you know, make it happen in their own strength. What was it that caused their lives to be so filled with power? It was that they were all 
there was great grace upon all of them. Now, this, this, there, there is such a multitude of examples of this throughout Scripture. Moses at the Red Sea. Think about it. Did Moses part the Red Sea? It's an honest question. Did Moses part the Red Sea? Or did God part the Red Sea? Or did Moses part the Red Sea? Whose staff was it? Whose power was it? Okay, so the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer to the trick question is yes. Did Moses part the Red Sea? Yes. Did God part the Red Sea? Yes. Because it was, it was God's power, but it was Moses' willingness. It was Moses' diligence. It was Moses at rest. What did he do? What did God tell Moses to do? Moses, stretch out your staff. If you're, if you're called to the ministry, you want to know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to be a staff stretcher outer. That's it. That's what it's supposed to look like. And then what happens? God's power goes to work. His grace goes to work. And you get to rest all through the whole process. <laughs> In fact, the harder, sometimes the harder you pray, the less you get accomplished. I didn't intend to go this direction, but that's all right. Sometimes the harder you pray, the less you get accomplished. Why? You're not resting, man. You're not, you're not, you're not allowing the grace of God to do its work. What about Joshua in Jericho? How many times have you seen people yell at a wall and it falls down? Just try it. Get you and your family together after you get done talking to them about the tithe like Keith was saying. Just y'all finish and pray about the tithe and then, and then just go outside your house and scream at the walls and see what happens. Nothing. So, so did the children of Israel take down the wall of Jericho or was it the power of God? It's the same trick question as Moses and the staff. I'm just, just letting you know. The answer is yes. Did David kill Goliath or was it God who killed Goliath? Sure, yeah. Well, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. God needs your willingness and your obedience. Is it going to be is it going to be a bunch of people getting together and having church on Sunday that causes Hope Church to change this community or is it going to be the power of God? Uh-huh. Yep. It's rest in action. It's a posture of rest. It's when we get to the point where we say, you know what? Yeah, I've made the decision that I'm going to actually live from this place called grace, that I'm going to live from this posture called rest, that, I, that I'm not going to try to do everything in my own strength anymore. I'm going to let Jesus work through me. There's a difference between you working in your own strength and you working in the strength which comes from God's Spirit. I've got a little less than 10 minutes. I want to show you one example of this from the Scripture, from the life of Elijah. Can we do that? Will you go with me? One, one, one example, 1 Kings chapter 19. Frankie, you can come whenever you're ready, bro. 1 Kings chapter 19. This, oh my, 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 my. Man, I'm, I probably have to make... I probably have to take time and just preach this passage as a whole nother message. Maybe I'll do that uh, next time. 
But man, there's so much in this. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read from verses 1 down through verse 8. This to me is such a beautiful example of what happens when you, in a posture of rest, cooperate with the grace of God. When you cooperate and receive the provision of God, the plan of God, and the strength of God. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. We'll read down through verse 8. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Stop right there. Let's give some backstory real quick. What had Elijah just done? Ahab is uh, Je- Je- uh, Ahab comes and tells his wife Jezebel. Ahab, by the way, is the king of Israel, and he he goes to his wife Jezebel, and he tells her all the story of what Elijah just did. Babe, you'll never believe what the prophet of God just did. Well, what was it that he just did? He went out onto Mount Carmel and got the whole nation of Israel to come with him. They gathered the entire nation, millions of people, onto this mountain called Mount Carmel, or Carmel, depending on how you say it. And, and, and guess who else joined the party? 850 false prophets. And they both decided to have a Jesus showdown. And they said, here's what we're going to do. You 850 goobers are going to pray to whatever gods you feel like praying to. And I'm going to pray to my God. And we're going to see which one answers by fire. Can I tell you that God still answers by fire? That's a side note. But it's true. So you know the story they call Elijah. They soak the whole altar. They dig a trench around it and fill it up with water. And, God, and Elijah calls down fire from, from heaven. And it's, the fire is so strong that it licks the water up. I don't know about you, but have you ever seen fire put water out? Or have you seen water put fire out? Something about the power of God that when it shows up, it defies every odd. Come on, y'all talk to me. When the power of God shows up, it defies everything. So they get done with this, you know, revival service. And then Elijah goes and kills all 850 of the false prophets with the sword. It's, you know, it's quite a conference. <laughs> what, what, if, what if we did that for hope and healing? It's like, y'all, we're going to have hope and healing in November. Y'all bring sick people. And if you know any false prophets, we're going to shoot them after the service is over. It's not a good look. <laughs> So he gets done killing 850 people, Frankie. 850 people. Then, when he's done, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Elijah. He girds up his loins. That means he tucks in his shoes and tightens his belt and outruns the king's chariot back to the city of Jezreel. Dude is tired. Tired. That's where we find ourselves in verse 1. Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah has done, how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sends a message, a messenger to Elijah saying, let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. Can I tell you that inevitably on the heels of your greatest victorious moments, the devil will always send a messenger? Listen, I've been doing ministry now long enough to confirm that this is true. Most pastors quit on Monday. 
Seriously. Statistical. That's a funny word. When you're celebrating your victory, just know the enemy always has sent along a messenger to try and discourage and discredit. It could be a thought. It could be a circumstance. It could be a conversation. It could be a whole myriad of things. It could be a bunch of feelings that come at the last minute. Who knows? Can I tell you, cast it down and keep moving. When the enemy sends a messenger to come to you to tell you that he's going to kill you, he's going to wipe you out, he's going to knock you out, just cast it down and keep moving, man. Cast it down and keep moving. Uh, can I tell you the devil cannot beat you? Oh, man, I just need somebody to just re- recognize that this is true. The devil can- has no power to beat you. The only thing that the enemy can do is get you to volunteer in your own quitting. When the enemy puts pressure on you, the the purpose of that pressure is to get you to stop whatever it is that you're doing for the kingdom of God. That's where this tiredness becomes such a big problem. People get so tired because they're doing stuff. They're doing life in their own strength. They haven't figured out how to be graceful yet. They haven't figured out yet how to rest in the promise of God and let his grace come and infuse your life with his supernatural ability so that when you become diligent, he gets all the glory, not you. And it actually gets done. You see, when you're walking in grace, you get more done by accident than you ever did by trying real hard. Amen. The best things that have ever happened in my life and ministry have happened when I wasn't paying attention because I was too busy seeking God. Can I tell you that God, I mean, the enemy, he just, he just wants so badly to get you to quit. That's what it's all about. Every time pressure comes from the enemy, there's one objective that's to get you to quit. But can I tell you that God will literally transform the world with one person who refuses to quit? Man, that's better than you're saying amen. The best the devil's got is to deceivingly get you, pressure you into volunteering your own defeat. Let's keep reading. We got 34 seconds left. <laughs> Somebody take this phone and get rid of it. Keep reading. Verse three, when he saw that, when he, when he, when he heard Jezebel's threats, when he saw that, what does Elijah do? He, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And then he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I don't know what a broom tree is, but it sounds fun. And he prayed that he might die. Did you, did you ever get so defeated? Did you ever get so defeated that you just go like, Lord... What am I even doing here?
raised people from the dead. I've been, you know, I've been healing widow women's, women and their kids, and I've been doing all kinds of amazing stuff. And doggone it, I'm tired. It's enough. Enough already. Take my life, Lord, for I'm no better than my father's. Oh, man, there's so much I could say. So much we could talk about here. But you see the man's disparity. What does God do? Nothing. He doesn't do anything until Elijah goes to sleep. Selah. Nothing happens in the complaint. Something happens when he goes to sleep. Verse 5, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. I don't know what's more impressive, the cake or the water, because he didn't go there with a jar. Sometimes God will use what's around you, and then sometimes God will just make stuff to meet your need. That's a good word. We read these details, and they just go right over our heads. The Bible doesn't say Elijah sat down under the broom tree with his cup, right? Sometimes God will use what you got in your hand, and then sometimes he'll just create things for your victory. He wakes up and the angel of the Lord says, arise and eat. And when he looked there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. This is every time I've ever heard this in my life. This is the point where every cheesy preacher makes a dumb joke about angel food cake. I'm not going to do it. So he ate and drank and laid down again. This guy was tired. How important is rest? How important is a, pro, is a product of rest? Or excuse me, is a, pro, a posture of rest? It's essential for your life. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. He ate it and he drank and he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. That's a word from the Lord for you today. The journey is too great for you. But can I tell you who the journey is not too great for? The great I am. The one who was and is and is to come. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the journey is not too great for him. And if you'll learn to rest under the broom tree, if you'll learn to go to sleep and let God go to work, you'll wake up and find the provisions there. The strength is there. Everything I need is there. Look what happens. Look what happens when Elijah partners with grace. 
Verse seven, the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you. Sometimes I can't go 40 minutes without food. And here Elijah goes a whole 40 days and he's traveling. He's walking. He's moving. And he's traveling in the strength of what? The food that God provided. I'm here to tell you that the strength that you need is in the things that God has already provided to you. Can you learn to stop trying to do it in your own strength long enough to let rest be your posture, spirit, soul, and body? He went in the strength. Rest allowed Elijah to apprehend God's provision and God's strength. That, my friends, is grace. That, my friends, is rest in action. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, I'm sure you know this scripture. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. That's Elijah. They will walk and not faint. Who does that happen to? Those who wait upon the Lord. Sounds an awfully lot like, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My friends, don't buy into the lie that busy is what God's after. Oh, God's after diligence, all right. But it's diligence that's fueled by his grace. When you partner with the grace of God, man, you partner with the presence of the Lord. I said it before, I'll say it again. You just, you do more by accident than you used to do by trying. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But it's something that we have to learn to prioritize. I was talking to the prayer team this morning. I'm done, by the way. You can tell Frankie's playing music. I'm done. <laughs> I was talking to the prayer team this morning before service, and I was saying to them how this idea has been rumbling and rolling in my heart all morning long since the time I got up. This idea that the presence of the Lord is the thing that differentiates the Christian from the world. The presence of the Lord is the thing that differentiates the church from every other organization. It's the presence of God that, that is in that place you find strength. They that wait upon the Lord renew their strength. They that come into the presence of the Lord are the ones who get to receive his best. You want to mount up with wings like eagles? You want to run and not get tired? You want to go at the pace 
that God could, could lead you in, you're gonna have to learn to do it by his grace. It can't be by your own effort. It can't be by your own strength. It's gotta be a posture and a lifestyle of rest. When I talk to, I talk to older ministers, guys that have gone before me that I look to now for direction and inspiration and wisdom, and they tell me, they all say the same things. They said somewhere along the road, we had to figure out that we weren't going to make it happen in our, in our own strength. We had to figure out, we had to come to the place where we say, you know what? It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by the Spirit of God. I, I, I want all of us this morning to be just encouraged and also inspired to allow the grace of God to do the thing that we're trying so hard to make happen in our own lives. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand because I'm not trying to call you out or anything, but how many of you, if you were to ask yourself just a real honest question, I've got so many things in my life that I'm trying to just do that I'm trying to, I've got problems in my world that I'm trying to force a solution to. I think all of us, if we were really honest and we were asking for a show of hands, I think all of us would raise our hand because at some point in all of our lives, we got something we're trying to fix in our own strength. We got something we're trying to accomplish in our own strength. And I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't work. Whatever you prop up under the arm of the flesh you're gonna to have to have the flesh support it for the rest of its time. Anything you build in your own strength, you're gonna to have to support it with your own strength. But anything that the, that the Holy Spirit does in your life and through your life by his grace, he will sustain by that same grace. Hope Church is going to go on and it's going to grow and it's going to expand and we're going to multiply. We're already seeing tremendous growth is happening. This, this is going to continue to happen. Why? Because it's not by might. It's not by power. It's, it's by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm not here to wear myself out in my own strength and I don't want you to be here to do that either. Amen? How many of you could say, I, just, I could use just a little fresh, just, just refreshing from the Holy Spirit this morning. Come on, stand up to your feet. I hope this was applicable to you this morning. I hope this helped you. Why don't you just take a second, close your eyes. We'll end the service the way we end most services. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.